Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So the uh, the subject that we would that we'll focus on is the uh, second discourse on the refinement of mind. This is again located in the Anguttara Nikaya, and if you uh, are looking in the bookstore, there's a, a book, the Numerical Discourses of the Buddha, um, and it's in the chapter of the threes. Refinement of Mind, Part Two. Part Two. How many people remember Topsy Part Two? <laughs> okay. Um, refinement of Mind, Part Two. A follower of the way devoted to practice should from time to time direct attention to three qualities of mind. The practitioner should from time to time pay attention to the state of concentration. From time to time pay attention to the state of energetic effort and from time to time paying attention to the state of equanimity. If one gives direct attention exclusively to concentration, one's mind may fall into indolence. If one directs attention exclusively to energetic effort, one's mind may fall into restlessness. If one directs exclusive attention to equanimity, one's mind will not be well concentrated on overcoming fetters and attachments. But if from time to time the practitioner pays attention to each of these qualities, the practitioner's mind will be pliant, workable, and lucid. Suppose a goldsmith builds a furnace, lights a fire in its opening, takes the gold with a pair of tongs, and puts it into the furnace. From time to time, the goldsmith blows on it. From time to time, the goldsmith sprinkles water on it. From time to time, the goldsmith examines it closely. If the goldsmith were to blow on the gold continuously, it might be heated too much. If the goldsmith continuously sprinkled water on it, it would be cooled. If the goldsmith were only to examine it closely, the gold will, would not come to perfect refinement. But if from time to time the goldsmith attends to each of these three functions, the gold will become pliant, workable, and bright, and it can easily be molded. Whatever ornament the goldsmith wishes to make of it, be it a crown, an earring, a necklace, or a golden chain, the gold can now be used for that purpose. Similarly, there are those three qualities to which a devoted practitioner should from time to time pay attention to, namely concentration, energetic effort, and equanimity. 
If one gives regular attention to these, then one's mind will become pliant, workable, lucid, and not unwieldy, and it will be well concentrated upon overcoming all fetters and attachments. Makes sense, doesn't it? It's it's a a beautiful analogy, Um, and yet it's a... um, I think it's an important point to focus on that if you have a particular idea of what you're supposed to do in the meditation, and that is your recipe, you're going to get into some trouble, some problems. If you have a fixed idea of what the meditation is supposed to look like. Have you seen that for yourself? Right now, as we explore this, just get a sense what in your mind a good meditation would be. If you had the the meditation you dream about, okay? What would it look like? Actually, let's just check out. Is there is there the um, the handheld mic, by the way? Mm-hmm. It's great. We can use this as a talking stick, and sometimes it'll pick things up. And, uh, here, not sure. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Okay, great. So, what's what's the uh, what's your meditation recipe or technique, or what would your meditation look like? Anyone? You can be bra- if you're brave. You know, you're speaking for all of us. Okay. Here you go. Here you go. get to a place of calm and peace and floating and just stay there. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah. <laughs> We're not holding you to this. Just, uh, Mine's more like rolling with the punches, you know, and just whatever comes up, whatever comes up, being able to be with that. Uh-huh. Great. Okay. Back. Say, say in there. Yeah. Complete stillness. Complete stillness. Yeah. Mm, sounds good. Yeah. When I'm realizing I'm paying attention, whether I'm sitting, walking, doing the dishes, or working on the car. Mm-hmm. When you realize you're paying attention. Okay. Anything else? The, the perfect meditation for you. Here. Acceptance oh, uh, of what is. Ah, okay. Acceptance of what is. Okay, that the heart could stay open and accept self and others. Okay. And, um, thank you. And, uh, do you have a sense of how to do the meditation right? 
if you're doing it right, besides what it would look like, whether it's stillness or rolling with the punches or accepting what is, um, do you have thoughts or ideas about doing the meditation right? Uh, here, here, wait, hold on, why don't we... Uh, thanks. If I'm doing it right, my impact in my life is different. Okay, so that's a result. If you do, if you're doing it right, your impact in your life is different. How about how to do it right? Yeah, um, if I if I'm meditating and I'm doing it wrong, I chastise myself for it, and and then when I realize I'm doing that, I'll switch over and say, okay, just move on, just move on. Uh huh. So that's when you're doing it wrong. How do you know when you're doing it right? Well, I, I get into a more calm, peaceful state. Okay, so calm and peace is right. an indication that you're doing it right. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty new at this, but I feel like I'm doing it right when I haven't drifted off for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And I notice that on an out-breath, that I catch myself and I go, oh, thinking, you know, and I come back without chastising myself. Okay. Thank you. If even for a moment, just a moment of no self. Moment of no self. Thank you. The mind stops chattering. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it right, the mind stops chattering. A couple more. If I get an insight that insights. Uh, if you're getting an insight, then you're doing it right. I think I'm doing it right when I just accept what's happening and what's coming to me and going with that, uh-huh. not trying to fight it all. Mm-hmm. Whether okay. it's somebody just walked in the room to stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When you accepting accept myself exactly where I'm at. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. So. Um, number of different thoughts and ideas and they and all of them are are quite um, quite acceptable and quite uh, and quite you know uh, fine wonderful answers the problem is if you've got an idea of what it will look like then anything other than that idea is not right, is wrong, in fact. <laughs> and what most of you talked about is, um, or shared, is what it, would, what it would look like if you are doing it right, oh, accepting myself. But the actual um, technique is, uh, is, is something that this particular passage is, is talking about, and uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about technique and doing it right and what the, the uh, sutta is pointing to. If you're familiar uh, with the 
Satipatthana Sutta. I think Sylvia's must, um, Sylvia's gone over the the uh, discourse on mindfulness here, hasn't she? The four foundations of mindfulness. Uh, just as a, a review, all of Buddhist meditation is based on this discourse, the Satipatthana Sutta, um, where the Buddha says contemplation of the body, including the breath and sensations, contemplation of feeling tone or pleasant, unpleasant neutrality, uh, mindfulness of uh, mind states like anger, joy, calm, love, etc., etc., um, confusion, you know, all of the mind states and thought processes, the mental realm, and then uh, mindfulness of uh, what is called mindfulness of the dharmas, or some of the principles of awakening, like understanding the seven factors of enlightenment, or understanding the Four Noble Truths, or understanding how the five hindrances uh, operate, and, and understanding the process of, of awakening, and being mindful of those different aspects of mind. That covers a lot of territory. That means one can contemplate the body, one can contemplate the mind, one can contemplate or be mindful of your reactions to things, and one can also see how things are in balance or out of balance. It's extraordinary how, um, how often people have ideas about the right way to do mindfulness practice, when there's many ways to do mindfulness practice. I was looking on the break, I couldn't uh, find it in there, but somewhere in the bookstore is a book uh, that it, that's now entitled Living Dharma. It used to be called Living Buddhist Masters uh, that uh, Jack Cornfield edited. Um, it's a beautiful book. It used to be called Living Buddhist Masters, uh, but most of the masters had passed away, so uh, the name became outdated. So now it's called Living Dharma. And it is 12 um, masters of Theravadan Buddhism sharing their particular practices and how they teach Vipassana meditation very different styles and very different instructions <clears throat> and they're all masters every one of them is a master Ajahn, uh, Ajahn Chah just notices uh, uh, balance of mind and mindfulness in whatever you happen to be doing in a very simple and easy way here this is from Ajahn Chah. This is Still Forest Pool, a beautiful book of his teachings. This is Ajahn Chah's approach. The simple path. Uh, traditionally, the Eightfold Path is taught with eight steps, such as right understanding, right speech, right concentration, and so forth. But the true Eightfold Path is within us. Two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, a tongue, and a body. 
These eight doors are our entire path, and the mind is the one that walks on the path. Know these doors, examine them, and all the dharmas will be revealed. The heart of the path is so simple, no need for long explanations. Give up clinging to love and hate. Just rest with things as they are. That is all I do in my own practice. Do not try to become anything. Do not make yourself into anything. Do not be a meditator. Do not become enlightened. When you sit, let it be. When you walk, let it be. Grasp at nothing. Resist nothing. Of course, there are dozens of meditation techniques to develop samadhi and many kinds of vipassana, but it all comes back to this. Just let it all be. Step over here where it is cool, out of the battle. Why not give it a try? That's his approach. If you look at Mahasi Sayadaw, who's in that book, who uh, was the the um, uh, great teacher who developed the the tool of mental noting as we do it here, you know, lifting, moving, placing, in, out, arising, falling. And he says, note everything. Don't let a moment go by without naming what is happening. It's a very powerful technique, and it's one that I've used uh, myself. It's been my main practice um, with some um, modifications over time. Uh, but that it's a very powerful practice. There's another uh, person in there, a woman, Ajahn Neb, whose practice, her meditation instructions are don't do anything until you feel you have to. Okay? So when you wake up, she says, you can, you can uh, be just as you are. Don't move. You can lie in bed and continue to lie in bed until you absolutely need to move. Now, when you wake up in the morning, do you need to move? How many people need to make it to the bathroom? <laughs> and if you try to lie in bed for another 20 or 30 minutes, you know, if you are absolutely still, she doesn't say, kind of get comfy. She's saying, be still, absolutely still. Okay. Even if you're on six inches of foam, after a while, if you're absolutely still, you're going to start feeling a little discomfort. So then you go to the bathroom, okay, stay there until you need to move. Okay? And she says, if you look, it's a very intense practice. Don't do anything until you absolutely have to. Don't move from what you're doing until you have to. You're going to see that pain is motivating you where unpleasant sensations are motivating you throughout the day. Your day becomes one exploration into dukkha, into suffering, into realizing all the minor adjustments you make are to avoid 
dukkha. Very powerful practice. And on and on you can go through, if you, ever, if you get a chance, it's a, it's a fascinating book. Now, a lot of these masters, not all of them, but a lot of them say, my way is the real way. But um, there's many ways. The Buddha had 84,000 Dharma doors, it said. For somebody, he w- one person, he would, he would say, okay, you sit there and you meditate and you do it just like this, and he would give instructions. For somebody else's, I don't know if I mentioned here, there's one, one guy who um, uh, was having a real hard time with all the techniques, and he, he gave him a handkerchief. Did I mention this here? He gave him a handkerchief, and uh, he said, you just keep rubbing that handkerchief. That's your meditation practice. Okay. doesn't sound like it's very profound, but as he kept rubbing and rubbing, and he saw dirt, and he saw change, and he actually had an awakening experience just by rubbing a handkerchief. Seeing, oh, this pure, the purity of the hank- of the handkerchief, it doesn't last. <clears throat> I remember going to this guy in Sri Lanka. Um, this guy, this very revered, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a, 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 a holy man uh, <laughs> in uh, in in Sri Lanka, uh, Ananda Maitreya, who uh, who passed away. He was about, uh, I think he was about ninety when I saw him and older he died uh, after he he was over 100 when he died and uh, I was really excited to see him and because uh, I'd heard about him and uh, I said well tell me um, tell me what you are what you teach how you how you instruct your students and he said um, well they come to me uh, and uh, the Instruction is to um, study the experience in your thumb. And I, I said, yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and then what? He said, well, if you look very deeply, <clears throat> you will see anicca, the impermanence of all the sensations in there, dukkha, and anatta, dukkha, the unsatisfactoriness, maybe the unsatisfactoriness of just looking at your thumb, I don't know, but, uh, but you will see after a while anicca, dukkha, and anatta, the selfless nature of experience. And I said, well, how long do they stay with that? And he said, oh, they can be with that for you know, uh, a year or more. But once they get it in their in that location, it quickly spreads an understanding of their whole being. He was one of the most revered meditation teachers in, uh, in Thailand. Ajahn, I think it was Ajahn Damodaro, had a, a similar one. This is one of Christopher's main teachers who practiced, the main practice was moving the, the forearm, the, the hand, up and down, and also seeing Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta. So, I say, I, I, I share these different styles to start to 
point to the idea that there's no one right way. And in fact, um, you can get stuck on technique and you can get stuck on uh, doing it right and miss the essence of the practice. There is both a science to the meditation, there's a science to the techniques, and it's very helpful when you do a technique to really find what it, out what it's about. But even within any one technique, there are um, variations. And besides the science of meditation, there is the art of meditation. And the art of meditation is getting a sense of what will most serve to meet this moment. As the Buddha says in that discourse, there is concentration, there is energy, energetic effort, and there is equanimity. A lot of times people um, who do retreats um, hear instructions paying really fine attention to, to the breath. And they have this idea that when they're doing it right, they'll be able to feel the hair follicles in the, in the nostrils swaying in the breeze. And sometimes you can do that, and sometimes you can get extremely refined in your concentration. At other times, it's all you can do to know that you are on planet Earth sitting in a body. And if you try to do it that way, or if you try to get that precise when your awareness is not there, it's very frustrating. If you become too concentrated, as, uh, as the discourse says, you fall into indolence. And really, that, that points to the fact that when that concentration is a kind of stilling, and when the stillness becomes very strong, without there being an energetic wakefulness, you get very sleepy. You, ha you experience what's um, sometimes referred to as sinking mind, where you're very, very still, but you've just gotten into kind of a um, dreamlike state. Because the concentration is too is out of balance with the energy. And then, so what's called for is to bring up some energy, wakefulness, which you might get from straightening up or opening your eyes or taking some deeper breaths or if you're doing the walking to, uh, to go at a brisker pace so that you generate, arouse some energy. Now, if you arouse the energy without there being a stillness, sometimes you have a natural uh, amount of energy, it becomes restless. So energy and concentration need to work together. 
And then the third one is equanimity. It's wonderful to be spacious. I think it was, uh, yeah, Sogil Rinpoche was here uh, on Monday night a few years ago and uh, asked, uh, and he, he said, one could sum up the uh, the whole meditation practice in two words. Everybody, can I hear that one? And he said, be spacious. Makes a lot of sense because it's so hard to get that space of mind. But if one is only spacious, again, there can be a, a wakefulness that's lost or there can be a clarity that's lost. So it's, it needs to be a wakeful spaciousness. If, um, if calm is the main idea, which it is for many people that, that we go for, you can get very calm. You can get very calm when you're napping, too, can't you? you know? If you're calm without uh, presence, then it's, it's limiting. So all of these, from time to time, you need to check in and see what is needed, what adjustment is needed to bring about a sense of mindful presence. Okay? It's like riding a bicycle. You know, you don't just stay right in the center. Okay, this is how I'm riding. You know, it's a continual adjustment. And it's the same way with meditation practice. Mm. But it takes it takes some trust and some faith that you can get a get an idea of what is called for in the moment. All of meditation is about bringing a balance of mind so that you can see clearly. It's all about balance, and all of the all many of the lists, like the factors of enlightenment, is a list of balancing factors. There is um, there are energizing factors like investigation and energy and uh, joy. And there's stilling factors, calm, concentration, and equanimity. And mindfulness is the balancing, the one that brings about the balance for all the other six. In the five spiritual faculties, it's another list of balancing that includes faith balanced by wisdom. If there's too much faith and not enough wisdom, it becomes blind faith. If there's too much wisdom, that is, an investigation without a heart element, it becomes more cerebral and can lead to skepticism. Concentration and energy are balanced in that list, and mindfulness is the balancing factor. It's all about balance. This is from um, The Faith to Doubt by Stephen Batchelor. He says, um, an inevitable conflict exists between a meditative attitude 
and any technique of meditation. A mind that is restless and distracted, prone to bouts of torpor, depression, and worry, and above all, habituated to calculation, is incapable of more than passing moments of genuine meditation. There is no alternative but to adopt a prescribed method of meditation as a way towards a meditative attitude. Even those who are more naturally contemplative than others will probably require aids and guidelines to help sustain and deepen their meditation. This conflict between the attitude and the technique is rooted in the gulf between the meditative and the calculative, the mysterious and the problematic. A technique of meditation is a means to achieve an end. It is usually comprised of a series of steps which pass through a series of spiritual levels. As a technique, it belongs to the domain of calculation. Its failure to produce the desired result can be treated as a problem to be solved by a reassessment of one's technical competence. A meditative attitude, however, is not merely a means, but actually partakes in the nature of the end. It cannot be dissected into stages and levels because it is already whole and complete. It is incapable of being reduced to a technical procedure, for it belongs to the sphere of mystery and is unconcerned with mere solving of problems. Every prescribed method will to some extent compromise the authenticity of a meditative attitude. Given our distracted and confused condition, this is hardly surprising. Although moments of unconditioned meditation may occur with greater or lesser frequency for longer or shorter periods of time, we are destined to a conflict between the spontaneity of the mysterious and the gradations of technique. So in particular, we'll take questions in a moment, but in particular, just notice if you are wedded to a particular technique or result or right way to do it, which by its very nature will set you up for failure. You're either going to pass or fail. Particularly if you equate doing it right with a particular result, anytime you don't have that result, you're doing it wrong. This is not skillful meditation. It's a balancing act. It's a, a continual inquiry into how one can meet the moment with presence, with spaciousness, with energy, alertness, and with um, a focus and stillness. And from time to time, one needs to attend to various aspects to bring that to fruition. So I think I'll, uh, I'll stop here and see if there's any questions that, that might come up about technique or about this whole topic of right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why don't you say your name so people uh, can meet each other? Sandra. 
Um, I think I understand. I'm fairly new at this too. I think I understand the um, the importance of maintaining the balance between the, the focus concentration and the energetic effort. I just don't understand maybe the meaning or applying it, the equanimity, how what that has to do with the other two mm-hmm. and what the relationship is to the meditation. How to apply equanimity to those two. First, what it means. <laughs> what it means, equanimity is a spaciousness, is a, a, a stillness associated with spaciousness where things come and go and the mind isn't reacting with either grasping at pleasant experience or pushing away unpleasant experience, but is here for for all things. It's kind of like the sun shines equally on uh, on beauty and on uh, on ugliness. It's not a discrimination. So, if for the purposes of the meditation, as a few people said, it's being with anything as it arises without getting caught in a reaction to it. Okay? And then as far as, in a practical sense, in the meditation, if you're having a delicious experience, equanimity means letting it be here, being really here for it, but not getting seduced by it, thinking, wow, I finally got it, how do I keep it here, or "Uh uh-oh, what if it slips, or I want more, that grasping. If it's unpleasant, if you have an ache in your shoulder or somewhere in your body, or an emotional pain, the typical response is, ooh, I don't like this, how can I get rid of it? And this is the training that's saying, this moment is okay, this moment is complete, just as it is. Can I open up to this and not be caught in my fear and aversion, but being with it as it is? Letting things be just the way they are. Uh, Joseph Goldstein uh, has a, uh, a mantra. There is a Vipassana mantra that I've used for many years uh, on his instruction. The mantra is, it's okay. <laughs> Whatever is happening in this moment, if you can have a relationship of okayness with it, then you transform confusion and grasping. It is just the way it is. That's, that's equanimity. So it seems like part of the right effort would be paying attention to what's missing. If you have a sense of kind of all these different possibilities, um, you can concentrate on what's working or what feels good, but you could also be looking for what's missing, what's not here, what do I need to bring in to balance this out. That's a very um, skillful, can be skillful um, attitude of practice. And if you're familiar, say, with the seven factors of enlightenment, that list, you can, as you're meditating, you can get a sense of 
what needs to be brought more into into balance or or the five faculties a lot of times when people come into interviews that's what the teachers are doing where is what is needed to bring things into balance you can do that the uh, the one caveat is um, to not do it with a sense that you're doing it wrong what what am i doing you know what's missing here as far as a particular attitude that can be very useful but as far as what your experience is what's missing you know why am i why am i um why am i agitated you know why is this moment not okay that you got to be careful to make sure that what's missing doesn't mean why is this moment not okay but if it's oh what can be brought into uh into balance so that i can be here with things even more skillfully yeah that's a very useful investigation and, uh, and say your name sure david yeah that's linda by the way okay okay um question isn't completely clear it's kind of probably get formulated as i start talking but it has to do with the practitioner or the meditator uh, the one who's doing the technique and I mean I really appreciate you're talking about the fixation on technique and trying to kind of see that when that's happening and it seems that that points to is there someone who's actually meditating is there a one that is there a meditator or a practitioner underneath that and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that as it relates to practice because it, it just seems like it's also in a way an oxymoron it's through the practice that one discovers in a way is there someone that's actually meditating but at the same you know you know what i'm saying but if i get too focused on technique then it seems to evoke the meditator have that that identification, identification with a meditator exactly uh -huh. and and what have you found have you been doing this uh for for a while uh, a fair amount, yeah. And how do you get a sense of of cutting through that that identification with the one who's meditating? I think it's just a witness. Well, there's just a witnessing of what what is happening in the moment. So, for you know, a thought or I mean, whatever's happening, there's just a it's just knowing that there's just a it's just witnessing it versus I mean, there's just awareness happening in that moment of what's happening. So there's what is, and then there's the awareness of what is, without it being someone who's even aware of what is. It's just the awareness of what is. I mean, if that makes sense. <laughs> That's beautifully said. That's it. That that's what the you know you use technique, and you know you initially you know try to do it right. Yes, I want to do it right, but you're using technique and trying to be the good meditator uh, to get to the point where you see there is no one doing it you said it really beautifully there is just experience and awareness of the experience and you can't even point to that awareness and say oh, that's me Awareness is just awaring, you know, 
it, there is just the knowing of experience. So one way to kind of get out of that, out of that um, small perspective, is to um, become mindful of awareness itself, and you see, you start to notice. You can notice how things are being known, or notice the knowing faculty in every moment. You know, as you hear a, a sound, there's the sound and the knowing of it. You know? Just try try this. Um, close your eyes and uh, bring your attention to hearing. There might be obvious sounds. Subtle sounds. And the awareness meets them quite effortlessly and spontaneously and precisely. You don't have to try hard to listen. The knowing happens all on its own. Just become tuned into the knowing aspect. the sound and the knowing of it. Are you trying to know the sound? Happens all on its own. So you can't even really take ownership of that knowing, but it takes in all experience. And your, your point is really uh, an important one, a key one as, as you go further into the meditation. That it's just causes and conditions, and it's just... Um, one could say life knowing itself through through this form, awareness knowing itself. Okay. Oh, there's a big puppy. Yeah, there's lots of them around here. Yeah. What else? Anything else about uh, about uh, about practice? Topic. Thank you. Um, my name's Ray. The, the snag for me, reflecting back on what you said, David. David, yeah. I think is the mind trying to fix the awareness, grasping 
for awareness rather than just being aware. So it's a, it's a grasping and wanting to keep the awareness. Yeah. So it's a mind, the mind kicking in and going, and then grasping. So how do you how do you see a wise response to that? What would be the wisest response? I think I'm going to have to repeat what he said, <laughs> which is be aware of the grasping and let it go. You yeah. know, and see in the moment that you're aware of the grasping, you're not grasping. There's awareness happening. That that's that's the beautiful thing. You don't have to get rid of anything in the this is how mindfulness works it's a purifying force and it can't exist in the same moment that there's grasping or aversion so you might want to be mindful here you are mindful mindful and there might be some peace and some all those beautiful qualities and then all of a sudden you realize you just got hooked mm. Really want you could fill in the blank, right? And then you you might then have the reaction, oh shoot, I I'm no longer mindful, and then you just had a reaction to that, and then get into a whole spin out until at some point you say oh let's check out grasping just like oh let's check out the turkey you know <laughs> let's check out the breath oh let's see how grasping operates and in the moment that you are more focused on that that reaction with an investigative mind not with with an agenda but with just an understanding, oh, this is how that works. You are not in the middle of the grasping, and you're mindful again. That's, that's the purification of mindfulness. And so sometimes when, when people are really tight, you know, and you want to, you ever try hard to relax? You know, <laughs> you're all tight. Relax! Come on, relax, darn you! Okay, you know, it's kind of like the old finger puzzle. Instead of trying hard to relax, if you simply explore how that tightness is, oh, wow, it's really tight over there. Oh, yeah, it's pretty intense over there. Oh, it's a bit less over there. That's a whole lot. And in that, and you're not fighting it and simply investigating it, you give it the space to do what it does. It might take a little while to unwind, but it's... It's the not laying on the agenda that brings you back to a space of, of ease and just being, like you were saying. You can just be in the middle of confusion. You can just be in the middle of um, anger or joy. You know. Reminds me when I, I don't know if you had this experience, when I was a, 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 a kid, sometimes... I'd be scolded uh, for something. I was usually a pretty good kid, but every now and then I did something, you know, and, I, and I'd kind of hear it. And so it, it would be almost like a dissociating, you know. I'd be kind of 
up on the ceiling watching myself being scolded and, and uh, uh, oh, isn't this an interesting trip, you know, I'm getting scolded now. It's, you know, you don't want to dissociate completely, but there's something about that, about not being in the middle of the movie that, that unhooks you from the whole drama. So it doesn't matter what you're paying attention to. Confusion, oh, freaking out, that's what's going on, okay? And in that moment that you realize it, there's space around it and you're not caught up in the whole melodrama. It's just one moment away. It doesn't matter how confused, how lost you are, clarity and spaciousness and, and understanding is one moment away. Isn't that great news? Now the corollary to that is it doesn't matter how clear you are, confusion and identification is just one moment away. So it, it's kind of binary function the way I see it. You're either here or you're lost. Okay, And when you realize you're lost, here you are back again. Oh, I was lost. As long as you're not judging it, oh, and I was lost. And it, you can take delight in the fact, oh, just came back. Oh, just came back to the present. I mean. Also, anything else about practice or technique? We ask just while we uh, we have the time. Is there anything that you struggle with in your meditation? Is there any way that uh, there's a frustration? I'm finding that I have a difficult time just doing it. A little bit louder. Doing it, just sitting down and making the time to do it. Mm. And do you find that if you schedule it, does it make it work better? Because sometimes I'll schedule it and then something else will come up and I'll say, I don't have time, you know, I've got to do other things, you know. This is the, the big challenge. And, and at the beginning, how long do you do it? Um, scheduling it makes makes a good makes a difference. It really does, um, because you're planning your day around it, and you're not squeezing it in. Mm -hmm. um, but if you haven't done it, I have a, an agreement with myself. I think I've probably shared it here, that sometime before my head hits the pillow at night, I'm going to get into the sitting posture. And it might be I've had a full day, I've just, you know, been from morning till night and then I'm just about to go to sleep and realize, oh, I haven't sat today. I'll just sit up for a little while then, in, even in bed. Because it's getting into the posture that's the hard part. Once you're there, oh, this is kind of nice. I've, I've been doing this for 26 years, 27 years. I don't remember ever 
having meditated and regretting that I did it. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but the hard part is just getting into the posture. So somebody uh, just said uh, recently, it's not hard to be mindful. The hard part is remembering to be mindful. <laughs> so if you if you see that you're you're doing it that it makes a difference if you meditate not because you're you're you should or you're a good boy or a good girl if you do but it's something that you're giving to yourself or giving to everyone else if you have a trouble trouble giving yourself a gift think of it as giving everybody else in your life a gift because they will appreciate the fact that you've probably sat they'll probably reap the the benefits of it but if you're doing it because um, because you should then it's you know that that can be useful up to a point but it's so easy to get into guilt and uh, and, and discouragement if you haven't done it you know, it so it's more you know, when I first got into this practice, everything made sense. It was, it was, I was so excited about it. And I tried to figure out how I could get around the sitting part. You know? <laughs> you know, did I really have to do that? You know, I think I got the idea. Okay, just be mindful. There's so much conditioning and so much stimulation that it takes some quiet time to just know you can turn the lens of awareness inside instead of outside this is where peace is and then you can be engaged that much more so having it a priority is really helpful as far as how long to sit there's no right amount you know for for some people sitting 45 minutes is uh, is is really a, a good really makes a difference for some people sitting 30 minutes you know, if it's a choice between, uh, if you're starting out, when I do a beginning class, I usually um, suggest that people do it for 15 or 20 minutes if they can. But if it's a choice between five minutes and nothing at all, do the five minutes. Because it's a matter of just remembering that you can turn the lens in. And another way that I have of, of relating to practice I do about four or five minute meditations throughout the day. Even if you're, you know, if you've got a few moments, if you're waiting online at, at uh, uh, Wild Oats or Whole Foods or whatever it's called these days, you know, um, and there you are just kind of, people are in the way, right? Just stop for a few moments, take a few mindful breaths, and come back to yourself. Or if you can have it set up in your mind, wow, I'm starting to really lose it here or get frenetic. Time to be quiet and just one minute, it's not that hard to be mindful. Or even a half a minute. It's just a few breaths and reconnection that interrupts that, that momentum. So see what it's like, but I would encourage you to have that commitment to just get into the posture each day or take a few mindful, you know, minute periods. Thank you.
Okay, maybe time for one last one. Okay. You got it, huh? All right, so um, let's let's close. If you can, uh, just stay here for for the end. It would be appreciated. Oh, and uh, I guess everybody knows about uh, they they you pay on the way in here the for the the class a donation for the class and also uh, Donna for the teaching, which is uh, really appreciated. There's no right amount as far as Donna. It, it's it's to experience the joy of of sharing and generosity. So, appreciate it. Oh, Rasika, yeah, you have an announcement. I just want to remind you that these tapes are available. These uh, Dharma talks are available. Sylvia's and Sylvia's guests. There's a new system with Dharma Seed. You can pick up a yellow, there's a, a yellow piece of paper back there, and it gives you all the instructions. You fill it out and write the date and the name of the talk. Send it to Dharma Seed, and now it comes back to your house no longer comes here, it goes to your house. So if you'd like today's talk, James, tell us the name of it, and then we can um, order Refinement the of Mind, Part 2. Refinement <laughs> of Mind, Part 2. And Sylvia will be back next week, I think 7 o'clock. 7.30. Okay, so um, just feel yourself sitting here know that you're in the body and uh, get in touch with the fact that you're alive amazing feel life as it moves through this form nothing you need to make happen. Simply allow yourself to be and open to that. And then let your awareness feel your heart center. Place that we think of that touches others and can be touched. And breathe through your heart center. Breathing in not only air, but breathe in benevolent energy from around you. Fill your whole being. and let it awaken and enliven the, the goodness right inside you. And as you breathe out through the heart, surround yourself with this energy and let it radiate out.
and then send some kind thoughts to yourself. You might think of something about yourself that you appreciate, your sincerity or your caring, some noble quality. And with that reflection, sending yourself these thoughts of well-wishing, may I have happiness in my life. May I have peace. May I feel the love and kindness inside and express it well. And then sending these kinds of thoughts, opening up the field to include the people near you and the others in this room. May all of us have happiness. May all of us know real peace. May we all grow in kindness and caring. And then sending these thoughts out from this room to include all the living beings on these grounds, people sitting the retreat up and up on the hill, <coughs> the staff the turkeys, the birds, the horses. All the creatures here, the insects. And then continuing to radiate out to include living beings in this area and throughout the Bay Area, throughout the state and the country and all over the planet beyond as I want to be happy may all beings be happy as I want peace may all beings have peace in their lives. As I want love, may 
all be touched by the power of loving-kindness. As I want wisdom, they all have the highest wisdom. May all beings everywhere be happy. Thank you. Have a good week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.